Okay, now we're going to welcome Pastor Dan. Let's give him a hand this morning. Thank you, church. You can grab a seat. Thanks, Tim. Amazing playing. Can we thank Tim and the band? Absolutely phenomenal job, guys. I won't highlight the fact that you're in shorts and showing off your thighs to everyone. Hello, Ollie. How are you? Oh, hi. Hi. Yeah, hello. So gorgeous. We had Kel and Quinn over for dinner the other night, and I was just like, how cool is it that I remember Kel's first Sunday at church or in Trader's Way when she came as a baby, and now she's married, playing soccer and hanging out with Quinny. We're doing life together, and our kids are hanging. I'm like, God, you're so good. Like, you're so faithful and kind, and you see the fruit of putting him and his house first. Um, some people, you know, aren't stoked that the kids are in the service today. I understand the tension. But the fruit, I every time want to thank parents here for not staying home and watching online, but coming with your kids to the house of God. I'm just so convinced, I'm so convinced that in this place is an anointing. There is a presence. There is something special here that we cannot get through watching online later tonight. And we, we, we welcome our online viewers, and I'm so glad we can provide that service. But at the same time, I want you here next week. I'm begging you. What you're doing right now watching is a window we created to invite you in to the house of God. Don't sit out in the cold and think it's good enough. It's not the same as being inside. Come on in. There's a presence here. There's an anointing here. There's, there's life together. We have lunch together after, and as Pastor Graham was saying, it's not just kind of shallow meet and greet chats, but you sit down over a meal and you're like, hey, let's get to know each other better. If you already know them, how was your week? Talk to me. Bring me into your struggles. I, I want to be with you. I want to pray with you. I want to join with you. Amen? Amen. Amen? Something special about what we get to do here. So uh, I just see it as an absolute blessing when the kids run around and do fun things because I just keep thinking... Well, heaven's going to be pretty crazy. And uh, let's get used to it. Amen, Ollie? Amen. All right, we are going to continue a preaching series. One day you'll be up here, don't you worry. Helping others see Jesus. Our, our focus for the whole year this year, we talked about at the start of the year. It's our overflow. It's our third year. We, we've done, you know, 2021 was walking in Him, the, the importance and necessity, imperative nature of you having a personal, deep, one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. Not Christianity. This is what I'm going to keep stressing. Jesus Christ. Where you talk to Him and you know Him and you see Him in the Word and, and you, you discover the riches, riches in the Word. And uh, I, I was reading, I go off topic heaps, but it, uh, anyway, throw it out there. I was reading Eugene Peterson again this week. He says, the beautiful difference between uh, reading the Bible and hearing the Word of God, listening to the Word of God. He said, you know, in the 1400s, they invented, I forget the name of the machine, that could print books. Before that, they're all handwritten. So most people couldn't read, and most people didn't own books. So for 1400 years of Christianity, it was not sit down by yourself and read in your head in silence. It was sit in a body of believers and hear out loud the Word of God proclaimed. And what we see in the Bible, right, in Romans... Um, 10 verse 17, hearing, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. 
He highlights at the start of the book of Revelation that, write this down, John, and read it out loud so that those who hear may run. There's something about catching the Word of God when it's different in, when I'm comparing that to walking in Him, there's a difference in you owning a Bible and reading it from time to time and having ears to hear what Jesus is saying to you today. Yeah, very good. He, he, he wants you. So, he wants to talk to you. He wants to grow your faith. He's, he's so for you. So we're walking in Him, but together. As I'm saying, it's, it's, um, it's not just about doing life online and watching videos on YouTube. We're so grateful for that resource. But let's be clear, that is not church. That is exhortation, that is encouragement, that is everything. It's beautiful things. It's not church. Church is doing life with people. Church is messy. Church is being frustrated. Church is being offended and working it out. It's not nice. It's not pretty. It's not a show. I'm not going to give you a prize for coming today. This is the body of believers. Ambassadors of heaven, called out ones, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit. There's something different about doing life in Him together. And now this whole year we want to focus on, as Pastor Graham was saying as well, it's not just for us. This is not a country club for the holy. This is a hospital for the sick. We want to see people come on in and receive love and salvation and grace and forgiveness and Jesus. And we want more and more people to experience that. Amen? And so the whole year is, is helping people see Jesus. If you've got your Bible, head on over to John chapter 4. There's this beautiful thing that I, I want to highlight in this passage. John chapter 4, it goes, it's a big chapter. We're going to break it down over the next four weeks. I'm just going to pull out the first 15 verses today. And I want to focus on the goal of today, the lens of today is Jesus' appeal to the non-believer. The non-Christian. That's what I want to focus on today. And so, in verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, I think it's called that, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, catch this, if you've got a pen or a highlighter, this is the bit. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Thank you, Jesus. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? 
Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Amen. Amen. Please, uh, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I, I, I won't have to come here to get water. Is that the end? I think it's the end. Perfect. Uh, something we've been doing lately is just praying the Lord's Prayer at the start. So let's pray together. God, we love you. Our mighty Father in heaven, holy is your name. May your name be kept holy and sacred today. May your kingdom come today. I pray we'd have eyes to see that. We're not just people in a building calling ourselves Christians. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Help us to see what your kingdom is, and I pray that that would stir us up to desire it, to desire for your kingdom to actually come today, and your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. God, I pray today you'd give us our daily bread. Number one, we pray that there's revelation today for all of us, myself included. I trust that you are preaching through me, Holy Spirit, so I pray that even as I say something, I'm like, wow, that's good, God. And Lord, we also pray you meet our needs. We thank you that you provide all of our needs according to your riches and glory. God, we thank you so much that you will forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, truly forgive those who sin against us. That offense, that person we keep shunning, longing for them to pay, to be punished. God, help us to forgive them freely because we've been forgiven freely without punishment. You took that on the cross. Lord, I pray you would Lead us not into temptation today, but deliver us from the evil one. Help us to be reminded that he's there and he's real and he hates that we get to be called children of the Most High God, that he is attacking thoughts. He's attacking our faith. He's firing fiery darts at us. Help us to remember that he's there. So we look to you and trust you that you will keep us safe. God, may your, yours be the kingdom. Yours be the glory. Yours be the power forever and ever. Amen. He's a good God. Amen. Helping people see Jesus. We talked about this last week. So just to recap the heartbeat of this, it's not just see. Lots of people around our world can see the church. They see at Christmas time, they hear the carols, they sing them probably. They, they probably even go to some kind of concert or event and sing Silent Night, Holy Night. Like they sing the gospel. The issue is not people lacking vision. <laughs> the people is them not receiving a revelation where they truly see, perceive, know Jesus Christ, the one true God. The word I want to look at here today, when Jesus said in verse 10, if only you knew, guess what? That word knew, I've said it before, say it, I'll say it a million more times. It's Ida. It literally means to see and to perceive. And this woman is sitting there looking at Jesus and he's going, no, no, no. If only you could really see what was in front of you. If only you could really see what was on offer and who was here today, you'd be asking me. That is our prayer. That is our heartbeat for our community. Amen, church? 
our friends and our family. It's not just if only you could come to church, if only you could stop sinning in that way, if only you could do this. That's not it. Our prayer is if only you could see Jesus and how loved you are and how much He did for you and and the finished work of the cross was enough for you. If only you could see the life He offers. So much better than this sinful temporary garbage out there. If only you knew what was on offer today. That word Ido is used 107 times just in the Gospel of John alone. It's how passionate John was at the end of the first century, right? The end of the first century, he's, he's coming in when he writes this letter. I think if my memory's right, it's like 90 or 95 AD when he writes the Gospel of John. And the main thing creeping in is Gnosticism. So this is a bunch of people who say Jesus is real, God is real, fantastic. He, he actually lived, he actually died. But you too, just like Jesus, can become a God. This is creeping in to the faith. And John is saying, no, you've got to see Him for who He is. He's the one true God. You can't be Him, but you can receive Him. So he hammers this point, if only you could see. If only you knew. This is what we're going to keep talking about, church, this year. It's not just getting people to church, as much as I love that. It's not just them having a fun time and getting free lunch. Our prayer and our goal and our warfare and our discipleship and our small groups and everything we do is about people knowing God. So they could echo Paul's words in Philippians 3, 8. I count everything else as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Saviour. Amen. It's the goal. Pastor Graham was helping us so much last week. Uh, Incredible message. Just finishing off Zacchaeus, we talked about helping people get above the noise so they could see Jesus. He climbed a tree. Denzel helped us helping people hear they've always been known. A bunch of other labels come towards us. You've got to tune in online. It was a phenomenal message. And then we looked at the, the exceeding joy Zacchaeus had when he received Jesus. So uh, that's the fruit of salvation. Amen. I'm always looking for the joy in Jesus. I, even, I get nervous when I chat to pastors and I don't see that. I'm like, where's the joy in Jesus? That's, that's what we're looking for. And last week, Pastor Graham helped us see the worth of God, the idols. And if we get rid, once we've encountered God, there's fruit in our world. Such a convicting message that pro presenter shut down and it stopped recording the message. It was going not too much for me, but brilliant message, faithfully preached. And so today as we start this story on the, the Samaritan woman, once again, I want to look at today this gospel to the non-believer. If only you knew, if only you knew, if only you could see what's happening, if only you could see the emptiness of the world and its fleeting pleasures. Does your heart break with mine when we see our friends stuck in this cycle of sin? And they go again and again, and it's a new partner for intimacy or approval or appreciation or validation, or it's a new adventure, or it's a new thing. And they just don't get it that they keep coming back to this well to drink. They just can't see it. And, and, And I'm sitting there like, oh, if only you knew what was on offer for free in Jesus because he paid the price. If only you knew that. It's a game-changing message. It's, it's what it all hinges on. We, we, we have to keep hammering this point. I know I've already said it today, 
People are not getting to heaven because they get their life in order and morally and ethically act better. They're getting to heaven because they know, they get the revelation of who Jesus is and what is on offer in him. So our prayer is this prayer, but we have to look at what is happening here. This, this woman is coming out to this well. Uh, every day it's believed they, they would do this. Um, it's not specifically in Scripture, but it's very common to read elsewhere that they would do that because it's the Middle East and so hot in the morning when it's cool. And we read about this woman coming in the noon, at noon, like in the middle of the day. Here she is. And we're going to read about it later in the next few weeks. But this woman had been married five times and now she's living with someone she's not even married to. And so let's not soften it. Let's not beat around the bush. Jesus is here talking to a Samaritan, which are already outcasts. I'll explain that in a second. Woman, which was not seen as equal to man at the time. Adulterer, sexually immoral, divorced person. That's what this conversation is. How wild that Jesus, the uncreated, steps into creation to come on this mission for, as offensive as this sounds, maybe at that time, the lowest of the low. I love the heart of God. So the Samaritans were outcasts. I, I had to remind myself of this. Um, if you've new, you're not new to Christianity, if you've studied you know, the Old Testament, you're going to read about Israelites, David was king, Saul was before him, David, David's son Solomon, remember these names? Solomon handed to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam refused to listen to the advice of the older people, giving wisdom to ease up the workload of the workers. Instead, he intensified the workload of the workers, and they rebelled so hard that they split the kingdoms into Israel was the north, the top ten tribes, and Judah which is where we get the name Jews from. And that was Judah and I believe Benjamin, if my memory is correct. And so these two tribes for the rest of King's Chronicles, you know, the next 700 odd years is still in play. And what happened was the northern tribe, uh, if my memory is right, led by Jeroboam, they eventually settled in Samaria. That was their capital. That was kind of their, their main city. And that became, they just became so hated, right? Especially escalating in about 700 BC when the Assyrians came and took over, right? And they get gone a hundred years later, the, the Jews, Judas, Judeites <coughs> get taken by the Babylonians. But here's the thing, when the Assyrians sent them back, you'll read at the end of Second Kings, I'm pretty sure, they sent them back in with all other nations. And they said, okay, okay, you can go back into Samaria, but here's all the other nations. And what happens was they started marrying other nations and other tribes, and their children became not just Israelites, became widespread. And so they started calling them dogs. You interbred dogs. Do you remember Jesus going to the Syrophoenician woman, going, it's not right for me to take what is here for the children of Israel and give it to the dogs? Like This is a real thing. Jesus was even playing into this. So Samaritans were hated. They were hated. They were outcasts. They were not seen as holy as the Jewish people. And here Jesus is coming to an adulterous, sexually immoral, divorced 
woman that's a Samaritan. And the reason I want to really highlight that point is because sometimes we're willing to go to people as long as they like us enough. <laughs> willing to take the gospel, willing to have you over for dinner, willing to do life with you, willing to evangelize to you as long as it's easy and we get along with you naturally. And as much as I'm not against that, I think some of the best evangelism we're going to see in this time in Australia that's post-Christian, rapidly becoming anti-Christian is through relationships. I do agree with that. Relational evangelism and discipleship is the key right now. I also want us to remain open to the exact opposite. Could God flow through you to someone that you would be like, that is like the furthest person from me? Could you love them well? And could you take the gospel to that kind of person? That's what we're exposed to here. We're exposed to Jesus on mission, bringing the gospel to this woman. And, and something I want to highlight is that this woman and what happens in this moment really does, in my opinion, embody sin. Living in sin, living for sin. And something I want to highlight is sin will always, always, living in sin, practicing sin, choosing sin, will always leave us feeling alone and thirsty. Always. She comes back daily, daily, daily. Jesus is like, if you drink of this, you're going to be thirsty again. It will always leave us feeling that way. We take control and we have another go. We're seeing it in culture right now. Once again, we're, there's no value on sex. There's no value on anything these days. And what happens is it's just like going back again. The addiction to social media that is rampant right now, just scrolling, just needing a fresh drink. Follow me back. Like my photos. You didn't like me. My soul is crushed. It's highlighting this internal position of I feel so alone and needing more. God rebukes through the prophet Jeremiah with a very similar thing. What I want to highlight, I'm going to keep highlighting this thought, is when Jesus offers living water, He's offering Him His very self. And when we refuse Jesus, what we decide and realise is that we've eternity is placed in the heart of every man. When we reject Jesus, what we realise is that hole is still there. That gap is still there and we're looking for things to fill it. Some, just a temporary pleasure, just something to make me feel happy or loved or in control, even if it's a minute. Oh, and we get that drink. Oh my God, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. It does. Let's not lie. In the moment, sin is hitting the mark. It, it's meeting the need. But it's so temporary. It leaves you way worse than you were before. And we see this woman just again and again and again coming back to sin. When, when God rebukes the Israelites through Jeremiah, look at his words in Jeremiah. To My people have done two evil things. What are they? They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. They've abandoned me, the endless supply of satisfying, nourishing, living water. And they've dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. That's sin. Let's keep that up for a minute. That is just the embodiment of sin. 
We reject God, the perfect God, the nourishing God, the very God we were created to be with, do life with, be one with, abide in. In sin in that moment, we reject Him, we abandon Him. And then we go over here, and when we go over here, look at what you notice. The thirst is still there. Why is the first thing they do try to create water for themselves? Because they realize how much they need it. They've just abandoned God and rejected God. So they're over here trying to create their own water source. They've dug for themselves. This is the definition of sin. It's abandoning God to take control of your own life and leaving yourself empty, thirsty, lacking. Yeah, but I'm in control. I dug it myself. Yeah, but look at it. It's this broken system that can't even hold water. And God is over there. It, I didn't put it up, but if you're taking notes, write down verse 11 and 12 as well. If you're taking notes, it's wild. It literally says, what other nation has abandoned their gods? And they're not even real gods. And then it goes, the heavens look on in shock at what my people do. Heaven is just dumb. Like, what are they doing? They've got me on offer, fountain of living water, endless supply for free. And they reject me because they want to be in control of their own lives. Sin. That's sin. And what we see, I do want to build up to this is, if this sin just continues to go, remember, once again, if you're taking notes, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. When you're tempted, don't say you're being tempted by God, for God does not tempt. Instead, we are lured when we are drawn away by our own enticements, our own temptations, our own desires. And then it says, if we keep going with that, desire fully grown gives birth to sin. And then if we keep doing that, sin fully grown gives birth to death. It's an ongoing thing that gets worse and worse and worse. Now we see through a mirror dimly, then we will understand. Okay, here's the extremity. Here's what I want to highlight. Surely for us in Christ, it only gets better, right? Amen. Like Romans 8 says, you're adopted children. You've received that spirit of adoption. You cry out, Abba, Father. And it's like 10 verses later. It's like, but one day you're going to go to heaven and you'll receive your full rights as adopted children. There's more to come. Glory to glory, strength to strength. Like we're going to see Him face to face in glorified bodies, set free from death and decay. It's going to be beautiful, right? It gets so much better. We have to remember that the opposite is true. Sin fully growing gives birth to death. This thing will only get worse. And I really flinch away from... I don't want you to go to Jesus and and call yourself a Christian because you're so afraid of hell. I want you to go to Jesus because you're so in love with Him and realise how much He loves you. But at the same time, I want you to know hell's real. Eternal conscious torment is my conviction. I can't believe in universalism and I haven't got any peace with annihilationism. I believe hell is real. And that personally doesn't motivate my worship. The goodness of God motivates my worship. But if I'm being honest, the fear of hell motivates my mission. Holy heck, I've got to pray. I've got to invite people. I've got to talk to my neighbours. I've got to create friendships outside of these four walls. I've I've got to be on mission with God. 
What I'm saying is this woman's thirst, this unquenchable thirst because people don't have God, it only grows. Can we look at Luke 16? I know you know this. And once again, please know my heart. I shy away from trying to scare you out of hell into heaven. But let's be clear. There's a lot of debate around eschatology. There's a lot of debate. This, this story, before I even get into it, there's so much debate around heaven and hell and end times of this. But my current understanding is when Jesus is teaching in a parable, He says, so-and-so, a father. There's a son. There's a guy went out and found the pearl of great price. So he went and sold everything and bought the field, right? Like when it's a parable, it's someone. When he uses a name, the things I've looked at, it actually happened. So he names someone here, which is pretty confronting. There was a rich man who was was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Once again, we can get into that another time, that eschatology pre-cross. There's, we're gonna, there's, there's a lot of topics within this, but I'm just going to pull out one thought. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. The poor guy outside getting nothing. He's in heaven, that heaven at Abraham's bosom, some texts will call it, by his side. So he called to him and said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus, catch this, to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. The story goes on, but that's the thing I want to pull out is that I believe this internal thirst when we abandon the living water and God that we're craving and chasing and sin and pleasures and this world and being in control and being my own God and living how I want to, that is going to be fully grown, right? That's what James 1 says, it's when it's fully grown. And what does that look like for an eternity? Inquenchable torment, eternal thirst and eternal loneliness. By himself. The woman in sin was alone. This guy was alone. But when he looked up and saw, how confronting is that? Philippians 2, it's this beautiful hymn from verses 6 to 11. But one of the powerful things in a good way, we read it in a good way, it's a really beautiful verse when it says, There will be a day when every knee in heaven, on earth, catch this, and under the earth shall glorify him. For God has given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. One day, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that he is God, Lord to the glory of God. Can I get that verse? Sorry, America. <sighs> Holy Spirit, bring your conviction, not mine. He looked up and saw. 
And what we're preaching on the last two months is helping people see Jesus. Can we at least be praying? Can we at least be evangelizing that they see him this side of eternity? Does it scare you that they will see him? Whether you like it or not, they will see. They will understand one day. Ah, oh, that's... It's going to happen. So Lord, bless us with salvation. Can you close your eyes and think of you, someone you're praying for? God, burn in our heart a passion and desire to see them saved. We repent of our comfort. Life's so easy sometimes. Burn in our hearts a willingness to be used by you, to love them well, to invite them over for dinner, to share the gospel, to not be afraid of the gospel conversations, to talk about heaven, to talk about church, to talk about you and your word, to talk about the cross. God, use us. Reignite that flame in our heart. We wouldn't just crave this Sunday worship experience. We crave salvation. Bless us with that, God. I pray for all of our ones that we're praying for, that before Easter, you will grant us an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with them and invite them to church. Even before we invite them to church, to pray with them over the dinner table. Use us for your glory, God. Sin will leave us feeling alone and thirsty. And it gets scarier and scarier and scarier. The band are coming up, which is awesome. I want to touch on that is why Jesus came. Man, this is good news. Do you recognize that that's what he did? He clothed himself in weakness and loneliness. He submitted himself to weakness. Look, at he was tired. God, the uncreated, the Alpha and Omega, the one true God, in the beginning was the Word, chose to submit himself, limit himself for us. He was tired. He took on that, sat wearily beside the well. He was alone at that time. This is what Jesus did for us. Uh, H. Lightfoot, if I get that quote up, please, Mirica. He, he says, the contrast, it's not perfect, it's not perfect. But there are so many comparisons between John 4, we're looking at now, and John 19, as Jesus went to the cross. There are parallels between this chapter and the Passion narrative. In both, we read of Jesus' physical distress. There's a reference, as if you want. And of his thirst. What's one of the last things he said on the cross? As, as... He has become sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who knew no sin to become sin in that moment so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. And when He's clothed in that sin, our sin, what does He say? I thirst. The emptiness of sin. In both, there is a time note mentioning the sixth hour and a reference to the completion of His work. In 442 of John, Jesus is called the Saviour of the world. John may accordingly be recalling, uh, be recalling of set purpose incidences that point to the Passion, 
wherein the word salvation was wrought out. This chapter is not the perfect gospel. What would I say? It just highlights this heartbeat of Jesus, this big picture. Let's summarise it. He came to seek and save the lost. This is the mission of God. Do you find it fascinating? Here's something else to pull out. This is John 4 we're looking at today, right? The Samaritan woman. Do you remember John 3? Do you remember the chapter before? Who, who does he chat to there? Nicodemus. A rich, well-known, successful Pharisee. And when does he come to Jesus? And what, what's he doing? What's he saying? He comes alone in the middle of the night. And what's he confessing? There has to be more. I don't feel satisfied. There has to be more. So what we see is the rich and the poor, the, the famous and the outcast, both crying out for Jesus. Jesus came for the old and the young, rich and the poor, the sick and the healthy. Why? Because we're all in the same camp, friends. Sinners in need of saving. Every one of us. There's no outcast. Society has outcasts. The kingdom of heaven, the only outcast is those who haven't put their faith in Jesus yet because they don't know. They can't see Him. If only you knew, if only you could see, you can come on in. I know I'm going over time. I'm going to finish with this because it's a massive point I don't want to skip. Sin leaves you feeling thirsty and alone. So Jesus clothed Himself in weakness and loneliness for you and I when He died on the cross. His disciples abandoned Him all alone, covered in weakness. Why? So we could have life. The Holy Spirit. Amen. Verse 10, I would give you living water. What you're lacking right now is living water. And those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Really quick, I'm going to look at five verses. Stay with me. We're almost at lunch. You've done so well. Kids, you've been incredible. Five verses, because here's what I want to highlight. The living water that is on offer to you, living water of God. And even if you call yourself a Christian, hear me clearly, you are going to feel so empty and aimless and lost if you're not continuing to drink His living water. I guarantee you. John 7, if we could please. I just want to show you. Look at this. We're going to go all through Scripture. Let's just do a brief view of, well, at least here in the prophets. Anyone who is thirsty left feeling empty from sin, we could say, may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the Scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. This is salvation, friends. Amen. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When he said living water, he was speaking about the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory, which he has done now. Let's look what Isaiah says, Isaiah 55. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. With joy you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. God, just, so, just leave it there for a second. That's the whole, this is, he's seeing Jesus dying and the Holy Spirit coming. It's in the whole Bible. 
end. It's not just for us. I'll read this passage out. I won't do it justice today, but you can reread it this week. Um, Ezekiel 47. There's a lot we could overinterpret this, so I'm just going to pull out one thing, okay? In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, which is the house of God. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple, passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured up of another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. Catch this. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? And then he led me back along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. What was our first month this year, church? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in God's Word. He will be like... A tree planted by the rivers of living water. He said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. Catch this. This is, this is the work of God's salvation when we can get it outside these walls. Do you want to see what God wants to do in our community? The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the dead sea fresh and pure. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved you made us alive together with Christ. Where there is death, there will be life. If we can take Jesus there. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. I think that's the end. There are so many people out there trapped in sin. They need Christians to take the living water we've received. Because Jesus promised in John 7, rivers of living water will flow from you. Can we pray together? Holy Spirit, we thank You that You inspired Your Word and it's good for correction and rebuke and shaping us and moulding us. It's good. Your Word is good. I thank you, Your Word has continued to shape myself and everyone here today. Reshape us, recall us, refocus us to the mission that You are on. Now we wouldn't keep church and these, this living water in these four walls. Use us, God, for Your glory. Help that to burn in our heart that we would just see our neighbours and just weep and pray and say, if only you knew the gift, free gift that was on offer today. 
Lord, I pray for those ones you've put on our heart that we've written down on those cards, planted on our fridges or in our car or on our work desk. I pray for their salvation. Lord, we stand on your word again and again. We plant seeds, others water seeds, but only you can bring the growth. So God, we pray for salvation, that only you can do that miracle from your hand. Make them born again, God. I pray as we love them and evangelise and share the gospel that you would save them. And then as they come here, that we disciple them and we'd love them. We'd teach them how to read your word. We'd teach them how to pray. Lord, I pray, I pray for their salvation, that they would experience the living water and they wouldn't thirst again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and when you came in, you wouldn't have called yourself a Christian and something's going on in your heart right now. Here's the thing I'm after, just one thing. If you feel like God is real and He loves you, for the very first time you felt that, please let me pray for you after the service. Or even if you've called yourself a Christian a long time, but it felt like for the very first time as you walked in here today, something's going on. Please let me pray for you as well. Please let me talk about what's happening in your heart right now. Can we stand to our feet? We're going to worship our Saviour. He's such a good God. Thanks, Ben.
Thank you. Powerful word this morning. There's a powerful presence here. Um, just as Pastor Dan invited us, let's not leave the same as we came. There's opportunity now to experience the living water, being Jesus. And the invitation is there, whether or not for your first time or whether you've been uh, a Christian, called yourself a Christian for a long time. There's opportunity right here, right now, to drink of that living water, to receive Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, if that's stirred in your heart, don't leave, don't leave the same as you came. Come and, and talk to Pastor Dan or some of the pastors down the front. We'll pray. We'll pray with you to receive that living water. What a wonderful message this morning. Well, that's the end of our service this morning. Cafe is on. Um, if you're going to the DNA course, we invite everybody's welcome. That'll be starting in 30 minutes upstairs. But uh, right now the cafe is on. Um, and we'll just close right here. Thank you, Father, for this day. Your word does not return to your void. We thank you that your word comes. And as we've heard it this morning, stirring our hearts, Lord, doing a work in us. We give you thanks for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.